Hello, and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Emma Purick, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Dr. Susie Orbach. Today, we will be discussing the effect of the beauty industry and anti-aging culture on women's well-being throughout the lifespan, as well as the ways in which women can come together to resist societal messaging and its effects on mental health. Let's get into today's conversation. Can you tell us a bit about how you got interested in psychoanalysis and how this perspective informed your thinking about body image issues? Well, I, I think I came to back to front. I way back in second wave feminism, which maybe your mother or grandmother was involved in, I don't know. Um, I was doing, I was involved in women's studies and we were looking at all disciplines. What happens if you look at how history is presented um, or psychology or biology without reference to women because most of it wasn't. So that was one piece, but inside of the um, of women, it seemed to me we also had patriarchy inside of us. It wasn't just an external structure. And although we could do sociological or economic analysis of it, we couldn't really understand the psyche part of it. And that was what led me to thinking psychologically and then psychoanalytically, not in terms of what Freud's ideas were specifically, but in terms of how do we become human? How do we become human with a woman's psychology? And what are the steps that that takes over and above the sort of structural things? But what is the structure of parenting like? What is the structure of mother like? that allows her to reproduce, if you like, another second-class citizen. Now, there'd been some work, Franz Fanon dug this around, um, he was a North African psychoanalyst, and he'd done a very important book um, called Black Skin, White Masks. And he'd showed how racism was internalized and constructed a person. And so I think what Louise Eichenbaum and I were trying to do was say, well, how do you actually, how does, a, how does the child's first culture create these structures of girl and boy, as it was then, which are so differentiated, so different that, um, and for that we went to psychoanalysis, but not to the psychoanalysis of Freud per se, but sort of the idea of understanding that there it was a concrete structure that that and there were things that were unconscious and i think that's what we took from psychoanalysis rather than the specificity of freud now how did i get to body image i mean that's a slightly different way i think that what i understood from freudian psychoanalysis was that the body for freud was a place that you put conflicts that you couldn't speak about or emotionally own, if you like. And so the body became a sort of stand-in or a side of performance or um, the stage. So I was thinking a lot about women's bodies and why we they were such a trouble to us and the way in which they were culturally 
marked by being both, you know, we're both Madonnas and whores, and I don't think that's much changed even now, even though we pretend it's okay for women to be sexual. Um, and I think initially I started to think about the way that women were using their bodies as a way to express their protest against patriarchy, not in a not in a understood way. It wasn't that we understood it, but that somehow we were refusing to be the way we were supposed to be. So that helped. So psychoanalysis in its general sense helped. But then I suppose over the years that I've been a regular therapist, I haven't just worked on bodies at all. I've been thinking more about how it isn't just that minds are made in patriarchy or in any culture, but that bodies are also made. And one of the things about girls and women's bodies is that they're always changing. And yet we have a culture that wants women of my age to look 25 years younger, wants teenagers to look 20, you know, 10 years older and doesn't expect any transition when you have a baby or when you hit the menopause. But somehow you have this static body that can always be fixed or perfected. I mean, I hate that word perfected. But so the body has become this sort of site of work for women, which starts very, very early on. And if I look at little girls, you, you, you know, there are ads that, I mean, first of all, I have grandchildren. And so I look at my grandchildren who are already performing for camera at three or four. They know how to pose as though, you know, as though they're extraordinarily, uh, as though they're teenagers and as though they're thrusting their hips and everything. And, and it's a really weird thing where their body isn't something they live from, but it's something that they have to uh, they have to throw out into the world in a particular way. That was a very long first answer. <laughs> Thank you, though. That was really interesting. Um, I'm really interested in uh, what you were saying about how, um, you know, some of these issues that women present with um, eating disorders, body image issues um, may seem trivial to some. However, um, your work shows that obviously they're profoundly affecting women and that they're very widespread. So, I ask myself, when women come to you with eating disorders and body image issues, what in your experience is going on underneath at a deeper level psychologically? You see, I don't think you can reduce it to what is, because when you have a mass symptom, any other kind of trouble can be collected underneath it. And what I found really interesting in my work is that Women will come with all sorts of problems and then they'll slip in that they have an eating problem, but they don't now expect to be able to solve it. They just expect to have to live with it. So it, it might be fear of sexuality. It might be fear of abandonment. It might be not knowing how to take care of themselves. It might be that they'll feel they'd be too much if they were the size that they wanted to be. But, you know, I was talking to a woman this morning She's got a young child and she has no time. And she doesn't have any time to, she works, she feeds her child, she looks after the child. She has no time that is anything for her. And 
her body then becomes a kind of sanctuary that she can feel she can hide inside. And the eating becomes part of that. That might be very different than somebody um, who would be scared to reveal a body that would be seen as sexualized where they feel ambivalent about it they might want to be really sexual but they wouldn't trust it or so i don't think there's a one there's definitely not a one size fits all i mean there was a whole period about 20 years ago where there was this argument that if you were bulimic it meant that you'd you know obviously had sexual abuse and and so you were regurgitating and throwing it up yeah, but you might re be regurgitating something else apart from sexual abuse, that your needs were not okay, that that you weren't allowed to feel dependent and connected. I mean, they could, I, so I don't think it's, I think the beauty of the job that I've got and why I can still be doing it so many years later is that everybody is absolutely unique. Yes, you can draw their shared themes, but the way that each person's idiom is expressed is what makes them the individual they are. And so you could say in general, women weren't supposed to be angry. They weren't supposed to be show their hurt. They weren't supposed to be showing need. But that doesn't give you enough of a sense of the individual, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely understandable. Um, so I'm thinking about aging and um you did mention at the beginning how um women's bodies right now are not really expected to change and we're expected to appear a completely different age than we are um so i'm interested in kind of the symbology behind the message of anti-aging and what these campaigns are really selling us because we know that aging is an inevitable process um, but what seems to get lost in our culture is the very positive aspects of aging, right, um, that come with feelings of expansion, growth, and development. Um, so I'm just thinking about what these campaigns are really selling us. Um, because well, I think they're doing, they're doing what the beauty industry does, which is they're selling. I think that's, I mean, I think that's the point. You've, you've put your finger on it. It isn't what they're doing. They are selling. They're selling denial. And they're denying wisdom and knowledge, really, because we're all supposed to look like whatever. And it's it's very powerful because it do, it affects all all women who are aging. So you know, you look at I was looking at some footage of the Iranian youngsters and listening to their mothers, who can't be much more than forty or fifty, the late most, and they got complete reconstructed faces and these are not upper middle class women these are just ordinary women and I'm thinking well, they've been sold the idea that they're not allowed to age that they've got to have fillers and different noses and and Botox etc if not plastic surgery which I think they've all got you know a lot of them had and it's as though you can't read their faces anymore because once you've puffed the face out, it's actually quite hard to read it. And one of the things that I think is, is that women are not allowed to be more knowledgeable than they were. They're still supposed to be either sexual services or nurturers for the world. I don't, I don't think they're meant to have, even if they're allowed to have a little bit of agency, they're not meant to actually be profound in some way and aging does make you more thoughtful and profound 
Yes, um, exactly. I, I was thinking about that um, and just the messaging uh, around aging and how it seems to completely discount those um, amazing experiences people have. Um, so um, in regards to aging and also body image issues, uh, you've previously advocated for a visual culture which allows women to exist in their bodies as they are. Um, but since your 2009 work, Bodies, our visual culture has changed quite dramatically to account for a greater variety of bodies, shapes, and ages. Um, but it, it seems that the disorders of body hatred and insecurity have only increased. Um, so Yeah, but that's, I think that's a, one of those contradictions, isn't it? Because until you have all the imagery being really like that, mm -hmm. it's very, very hard because... I think a lot of young women will grow up and say, yeah, I love my body when I know that they don't. And they will display their body, but it's still body as display rather than body as lived experience, right? And I think part of what's happened is that, and I've updated bodies several times, um, that book is that, you know, as we've been selling the westernized body to the world, uh, all over as a kind of um, way of entering in modernity and global culture. So as we've been doing that, we've been diminishing all the bodies that are in the world and all the different and appropriating bits of those bodies. And I think we that's why you've seen a rise in a rise in the numbers because the it's been such a successful industry that if you can get younger and younger and older and older and now boys and men interested in changing their bodies you can you can have a completely disordered population in relation to their bodies and i think that's what we've got now i mean so the imagery is one piece but it isn't sufficient i mean you you know it's the it's the shocking fact that some of the richest people certainly in europe are in the clothing and beauty industries. They're not in what you expect, you know, so they're not steel manufacturers or car manufacturers. They they are actually the people who are polluting the whole world with the fashion industry and making us feel really shitty unless we've got you really you know that as many preparations on our faces and bodies as can we can possibly have. So I think it's very hard to feel that we've got much of a chance as individuals standing against this stuff. Yes, I agree. Um, in that vein, what I always think about, you know, what would it look like for our culture um, if we had really started to face some of these issues and um, have feel that we have a right to exist in our bodies. What would it look like? It seems um, it's very frustrating that you know. I remember you know Victoria's Secret used to always have very thin models, and recently in the past couple of years, um, they've changed a lot and they've included women of different body uh, body sizes. Um, but it it seems that it it seems that we're kind of stuck right now. Um, I'm thinking about what your aspirations would be for the younger gener generation of women today. Well, I think the part of the problem is 
that you can you can only do it in groups. You can't do it one by one because the culture is just too powerful. And I think when I wrote Fat as a Feminist Issue, which is really a long time ago, it was possible to give up compulsive eating because we were contesting all of this stuff at the time. And that was in the 70s. And so I think, first of all, when I think about young women, I think they have to they have to group together to to contest these industries and the image industry and uh, you know the 16 different shades of how you can look and on a how your iPhone can adjust your look so that you look completely different I mean that kind of waste of human creativity it seems to me that has to be taken on but more profoundly than that I think what's what's made it much worse for your generation is that your mothers were probably disturbed in their bodies and that your first experience of being held and being fed would have included, not that your mother ever wanted to do this, but some anxiety about the body-to-body -body experience. So that, so for me, the big push that I would want to be doing is training midwives, health visitors, pediatricians, um, all of those who, who deal with mums or expectant mums to dare to have bodies themselves and to actually have a postpartum period, which is not about getting back into your genes, but is about getting to know your own appetite now that you're a mother and your baby's appetite and get to know both of your bodies in this state of being because the baby's body is going to incorporate the mother's experience of her body and so you want the mother to have a good experience of her body as opposed to a brutalizing one which is what most young women who have children or women in their 30s and 40s have children feel so I think I, I, I think the only hope is to actually work in each different place you know that would be one place most school teachers pass on terrible attitudes towards bodies because they were all messed up themselves, right? So they don't pass on, they think they're passing on body confidence, but it can be ersatz or, or phony. And they send, you know, spend a lot of time on BMIs and the nutrition, which is kind of not the point. I mean, I remember when my <clears throat> kids were in school and they took school, they took luncheon and they were not allowed to have desserts in their lunch. Well, actually, kids often need fast energy i mean that we've gone quite crazy about what what is okay yes thank you so much this has given me a lot to think about um i i really agree and and think it's so important to start thinking about the experience of mothers and also um getting the sense that like having that curiosity about yourself and your own appetite without attacking yourself um that seems really important to me um but also what you said about um, thinking in terms of groups, because I do feel that, as you said, culture is just too powerful a force for us to do this individually. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. It still has the power to affect somebody like me and my friends who, and we've all been working in this area for a very long time. You know, nobody is, it's very hard to be immune. And therefore, it's really important to get together and find activist groups and I don't know whether you have one in Canada but if you go onto the endangered bodies website or anybody website you will find all sorts of things that you can do to try and shape your culture and change it and and do it 
collectively with others and you know fight dieting etc cetera, etc cetera. thank you so much um, okay for a huge inspiration and i definitely will check out those websites okay um, again so much for all that you do i really appreciate it pleasure good luck to you thank you okay You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thanks for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at the next episode.